Well, good morning, Living Grace family. Uh, happy Palm Sunday to you. This is uh, this is a, an introvert preacher's dream come true. I, I really appreciate this this opportunity to to speak to you from a distance. It's nice. I, I just like it. Um. So there's this evangelist. His name is is Raymond Comfort, and he he goes around and does an interview style gospel presentation and he'll just him and a camera and a microphone and he shows up and he, he'll ask somebody you know if they think they're a good person and naturally everybody says yes and then he asks them if you know they think they'll make it to heaven they're, they're more than likely going to say yes and then he starts asking them well have you ever have you ever lied have you ever taken anything that wasn't yours use use the names of the Lord in a way it's not meant to be used, or have you ever looked at somebody with kind of lustful thoughts? And nine times out of ten, they're, they're four for four. And it's yes, 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 and definitely yes. Then he goes on to say, well, you've, you've just explained to me and confessed to being a lying, adulterous, blaspheming thief who deserves to go to hell. And then, then he does his whole thing where he tries to you know, ask them if they want to make a decision and, and lead them into a, a prayer of salvation. Uh, but my thing with this, especially about this morning, is I find it interesting. He never asks them if they've ever worked seven days without taking a day off. Because if you're using the, the Ten Commandments as your standard for good, then, then that's still one of them, right? When, when you become a Christian, assuming that you've converted, you, you may or may not have, generally, you stop lying, you stop cheating on tests or spouses, whatever you know, portion of life that you're in. Uh, you, you get away from stealing and all that, and you try to clean up your language, and you, you try not to misuse God's name, but nobody, nobody ever drifts towards a practice of keeping the Sabbath. Nobody, nobody like stumbles into rest. It doesn't just naturally happen, and that's weird, right? We've been discussing uh, spiritual disciplines this past month. We've, we've talked about prayer and, and worship and, and fellowship and in the midst of all of the, the weird transitions that we've had to deal with due to the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. We, we've still been continuing that same discussion. We're going to finish up our, our series on spiritual disciplines this morning talking about rest. And uh, since we're a Bible-based body of Christ, we're going to look at the biblical model of what rest is is and how it pertains to us as a spiritual discipline. What does the Bible say about rest? How can we apply that to our lives? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning, for a chance to, uh, to come together, to gather and look at your word. Even, even though we're not together, we can still gather. You still make that possible. Uh, we, we pray that uh, during this, this weird time where things are just in an upheaval, we, we pray that you would help us to remember who you are. Remember, you're still sovereign. You've still got this in control and that this might just be a trust exercise. Help us to lean into that. Lean into who you are. Uh, we pray that this morning as we study your word as we as we go to you to figure out this whole rest thing that you would reveal your truth that you would you would speak through me and even in spite of me 
and that your body would be better equipped in understanding you. We love you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a seeming contradiction in the Bible when it comes to rest. I say I say seeming. We'll get to that. The, the Old Testament and the, and the New Testament, they, they don't treat it with the same degree of importance or the same, same kind of reverence. Fortunately for us, we have this, this neat little thing called the, the law of non-contradiction. It's, it's this jazzy little thing where the Bible can't and won't contradict itself. It doesn't stop there being these, these seeming contradictions, these points of contention where, where something in one portion seems a little off from something in another portion. And in, in those passages where, where things don't make immediate sense, there's one of three things that you can do. You can, you can dismiss the passage and or the, the entire Bible altogether. Just say, well, I mean, I don't get it, and toss the whole thing. You could draw some erroneous conclusions and make some assumptions, and which those might lead you down the path of some, some false teachers who tend to fixate on one portion and totally neglect another and walk away from that. Or you can see the troublesome passage as an opportunity to take a, a deep dive into greater understanding in the scriptures to see what God's really saying. And I, I recommend that, that view right there. So as he usually does, this goes back to the origin story of the relationship between God and man. And we're going back to Genesis 1 through 3. And good theology hinges on your understanding of Genesis 1 through 3. So in the beginning, God, God creates everything. And he does it, he does it in six days. We see this in most of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. And that's where we're going to start off today. It says, And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God blesses the seventh day, Saturday, for the Israelites, and he shows us a couple of things. One, seven is a very important number to God. It's referenced 860 times in the Bible, and it means completeness or wholeness. So in regard to creation, the work of creation was complete. The other thing we see is a pattern that God established from the outset. I'm going to fast forward a little bit to uh, God's redemption of the Israelites from Egyptian slavery. The Lord has just done a miraculous work in setting them free. Lots of plagues. He dropped, you know, I don't know, a billion tons of salt water on an army. He just, you know, devastated them. And he does all this to set his people free. And as he prepares to feed a nation, I, co I complain about feeding a family for I cannot fathom the logistics involved in feeding a nation. But as he prepares to do so, he lays out some guidelines. And in Exodus 16.23, it says, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. The Lord is providing manna to feed his people. It's, it's a weird, flaky substance that, that God produces almost out of thin air and his people bake it into cakes and do what they've got to do to, to turn it into their food source. 
And when you, when you try to think about this and try to picture it in your head, what I don't want you to think of when you think of a flaky substance manifesting out of thin air provided by God is that this is heaven's dandruff. That is a weird thing, and nobody wants to eat that. So stop. That's gross. The name manna literally means what is it? It's got a, it's got a certain je ne sais quoi. That's a French joke for all of you who took that one year of French in high school. Don't worry, I got, I got Spanish jokes later. Got to keep this thing going. Uh, the Lord has taken the pattern of creation and then he applies it to mankind through his provision. He's providing food for the Israelite nation as they're walking through the desert and they've got none of their own because they're nomadic at this point. So he's providing the food. But when he does so, he only does it for six days. On the seventh day, it's not there. So he tells them ahead of time, hey, get, gather extra on the sixth day. There's not going to be on the seventh day. That is a day of solemn, holy rest for you. And then the seventh day comes and people go outside looking for food that God told them wasn't going to be there. And they're surprised it's not there. These are top-notch intellectuals we're working with. And God has done something here by creating a pattern, weaving it in to how he provides food for his people. The, you can you can see the pattern and live out the pattern because when you go out on Saturday and there's no food there, there's nothing to work with. So you're visually and almost laboriously reminded that, oh, today is a day of rest. It's kind of like when you go check the mail on a Sunday and it's not there. Like, okay, that's right. I remember how things work. And in this moment, this is the first appearance of the word Sabbath. It's the first time it's said in the Bible. So we'll fast forward from there. We're going to go through uh, them finding a water source from a rock, a uh, battle. There's a leadership delegation extravaganza. And, and then we find Israel at Mount Sinai. Here God establishes what we know as the, the Ten Commandments or the Top Ten or the, the DSA Do Nots. That was, our, that was our Spanish joke. I told you it was coming. And we look at the Ten Commandments. We're going to pay close attention to number four, and that's in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Lord starts off by telling the Israelite people to remember it. Remember the Sabbath day. That thing that he had instilled. It's like he's saying to the Israelites, hey, you know that thing we just did where, like, I gave you manna and um, there wasn't there one day. And that's like, oh, that's right. It's the day of solemn rest. We're going to keep doing that because you're about to enter in the promised land. And the man is going to stop, but you still need to rest. You still need to keep that day holy and remember it. You need to keep it holy to the Lord as a day of solemn rest. So the principle of God as provider does not change. And neither will his pattern of rest. The principle of God as provider has not changed. And neither will his pattern of rest. So now that it's a law, this whole Sabbath thing and the Ten Commandments, uh, failure to comply with it is punishable by death. It becomes a very big deal. You can't work 
And you can't circumvent this law by making your servants or your animals work either. God lays all that out. That's why it's got all that that space in the Ten Commandments. And after you get like the little one-liner shots about you know not murdering and lying and stuff. So this is now a a crime if it's not remembered and kept holy. It's like you almost imagine that there's guys walking around with neon T-shirts that say "Take naps or die." They wouldn't have clubs; they'd have pillows because it's a day of rest. Remember that. Uh, the Lord is later going to admonish his people through his prophets to take his Sabbath business seriously as they tend to drift from the solemn rest he requires. Remember how we talked about in the beginning, nobody like stumbles into rest, nobody drifts into Sabbath keeping. Our tendency, our natural inclination is actually to drift away from it, to drift back toward busyness and, and doing things. Uh, a lot of us might be experiencing that now in the midst of being stuck at home. Like, I don't have enough things to do. I burned through six puzzles and four Sudoku books in every season that's available on Netflix. I'm not watching it again. We drift towards needing something to do. And it, it can drive us nuts when we don't have it there. So the Lord through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 58 says, If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your business on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own business or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Whereas we would work to lift ourselves up, to elevate ourselves, we would put an extra effort to bolster us, God says, no, no, this, this here is a trust thing. And if you trust me, I am the one who elevates you, who lifts you up. So now that we've seen the pattern of rest that God has set up for his people in the Old Testament, we're going to take a look at the New Testament and see how it, it approaches rest and see if we can't root out any of those, those seeming contradictions. During Jesus' ministry, he seems almost to dismiss the Sabbath immediately, as soon as he gets into stuff. In uh, Matthew chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 1 and, and read, read that passage there, his interaction with the Pharisees regarding the Sabbath. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He, Jesus, said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here, and if you had known what this means, that I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? This is a trap. So that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, 
healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Right here in this in this scene of Jesus dealing with Pharisees and, and the concept of the Sabbath and rest, he sets a precedent for the rest of his ministry. And you see it play out all over the place. So he establishes you know, his, his title is Lord of the Sabbath. He, he heals a withered hand. He heals a paralytic at a pool. He, he heals a, a woman with a stabling spirit. He heals a man born blind. He heals dropsy. All of these healings on Sabbath days. He regularly taught on the Sabbath. And then he intentionally topples tradition concerning the Sabbath. He, it, it's throughout his ministry and is covered in, in all of the Gospels. This, this attack on, on traditions and on how man approaches the Sabbath. So Jesus provides us with a new title for himself, Lord of the Sabbath. I, while he's, yes, giving us a pattern of rest and, and giving, letting us see his example, we don't get to give ourselves nicknames. So please don't. It's weird and it needs to stop. Jesus gets to do that because Jesus is cooler than you are. And, and he picks some pretty good ones. Lord of the Sabbath is, is a regal, wonderful nickname. I, I think um, it, it's a really good one. I'm also a fan of the, the ruler of rest, the nobleman of naps, the, the regent of relaxation, the duke of downtime, and my personal favorite, the prince of pause. I like being able to tell you guys jokes from here because I don't have to hear the silence on the other side. I just imagine rolling laughter. It's wonderful. It's much better than bombing during announcements. This is great. Jesus' claim of being Lord of the Sabbath, he puts the entire concept of, of the Sabbath uh, or of solemn rest squarely under his rule. So why does this look so different from Old Testament Sabbath? In the Old Testament, working on the Sabbath earns capital punishment for the worker. Jesus heals on the Sabbath, and he teaches. It says, as, as was his custom, when he would go into a synagogue to teach on the Sabbath. He even accuses the religious elite of elevating man's traditions over the commandments of the Lord regarding the Sabbath. In John 7, it says, uh, If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken... Are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Judge with right judgment. He, he, he calls them out. They were, they were circumcising people on the Sabbath day because you had to circumcise eight days after they were born, and sometimes that would land on a Sabbath. It just happened that way. So to keep one law, they would, they would break another one. And so Jesus is calling them out on it and trying to... Say, hey, guys, what is the important thing here? Judge with right judgment, not just tradition. Jesus was known to speak and teach as one with authority. If you look at Matthew uh, 7.29, it's really easy to speak as if you have authority when you actually have that authority on a subject. There's, there's guys now who are experts in the field of of disease and and it's spread and they're talking and we listen to them and like oh okay they're an expert they must know what they're talking about they've got all of these degrees and they've worked for the cdc for several decades they probably know they're talking about they're an expert in their field they've they've got authority on the matter jesus can speak fluently about the sabbath with such authority because he is lord of the sabbath this is this is his domain 
So naturally, he's, he's got a handle on it. But if we examine these actions, if we go back to, to Matthew 12 and, and his inter, Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees, when Jesus announces his Lord of the Sabbath title, we see that Jesus himself never violated the Sabbath. His disciples may have, by plucking the heads of grain, this might have been considered by the Pharisees as, as harvesting grain, which was prohibited in that time. But Jesus was accused of no such thing. He, he came to fulfill the law, and he did, he did just that. Something else Jesus did was establish a pattern of rest by redefining solemn rest. The traditions of men have superseded the command of God, and that's one of the things that he attacks during this time of ministry. They took the Sabbath, and then they just removed the goodness of God. They extracted out God's goodness. Why else would anybody object to healing on the Sabbath? What kind of monster do you have to be to stop somebody from getting healed? Because, no, sorry, this is is a day off. You don't don't get to have your withered hand growing back out. That's not going to happen. It's the Sabbath. Come back tomorrow. No. Jesus gets called out by the religious leaders of the day for, for working on the Sabbath. He's healing people, and they're mad he picked the wrong day. It's almost as if Jesus hadn't heard the jingle. You all are very familiar with the jingle, I, as, as am I from my childhood, that it, uh, it's healing on a Sunday, healing on a Monday, healing on a Tuesday is fine. On Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you can have healing anytime. Everybody knows this. Jesus apparently walks around as if that doesn't apply to him. And it's not that Jesus never rested. Jesus rested. If you, if you look at Matthew, not Matthew, Mark chapter 4, there's a huge storm. Jesus and his disciples are out on a boat, and Jesus is asleep on a boat in a storm. And these are professional fishermen who think the boat's going to go down, and Jesus is napping. That's, that's the kind of life I want. I want to nap like Jesus napped. That's dead to the world nappage. I've got, I've got kids and neighbors who stomp around upstairs. I need that in my life. In, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus invites the freshly returned from ministry apostles to go away with him to a quiet place and rest. These apostles he sent out to go and do ministry, go to these cities and, and preach the good news. And they, they go and they do that. They're out there for, for a while. They come back to Jesus and immediately Jesus says, okay, come away with me. Let's go find a quiet place and let's rest. Ministry, service like that, it can, it can take a lot out of you. And Jesus recognizes that and makes sure his disciples rest up. And these are both in Mark, by the way. Mark is the, the like, action gospel you can't sit down and read all the way through Mark without being out of breath. It's always, and suddenly, and, and behold, and instantly. And, and then through that somewhere, Jesus decides to squeeze in naps anyway, in the middle of an action-packed, like, biographical thriller. So Jesus rested. He, he knew the importance of rest, and he invited his disciples to rest as well. But he redefines rest for his followers. Jesus knew and said as much that it wouldn't be just Jewish people following him, but Gentiles as well. So the pattern of rest that he's establishing is not just going to affect Jewish people and redefining Sabbath rest for them, but it's going to change the game for Gentiles too. Uh, notice also in the writings of the apostles when they, when they list negative attributes to avoid, they don't say that the busy will not inherit the kingdom. Uh, if you go to Galatians 5, there's one of these lists. They're, they're throughout the epistles. The, the apostles were real big on 
on laying out some of these things, the, the practices that, that weren't going to go so hot in the eyes of the Lord. And uh, Galatians 5.19 starts, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Busy is not on that list. It's, it's not a sin. It's not awesome. It's just not a sin. Let's look how, at how Jesus redefines solemn rest. Uh, first of all, he teaches and he proclaims the kingdom, as was his custom, remember. On the Sabbath, he would regularly do this. If you ask any, any priest, priester, if you ask any pastor or preacher, they will tell you that, that preaching is work, that delivering a, a sermon on a Sunday is work. If you're doing two services on a Sunday morning, the, the studies have shown that is the equivalent to eight hours of work. That there's the same toll on your body as eight hours of solid work. Because it is. It's, it's work. Those hearing and learning were not rebuked. When I say rebuked, they weren't like, there was no slap on the wrist. There was no, hey, don't do that. So Jesus was teaching on the Sabbath, and that was cool. Nobody had a problem with that. People were coming and learning and listening on the Sabbath, and that's cool. Nobody had a problem with that. So the teaching and learning it was is part of this solemn rest definition that we've got here. And then Jesus also healed. That's where everybody gets into a tizzy. The question is asked, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Jesus establishes that he is Lord even on the Sabbath. If you, if you look at Mark, Mark puts that, that word even in there just to kind of, I don't know, zhuzh it up. It, it, it adds a different element of emphasis because he's Lord of the Sabbath. Awesome. But Lord, even on the Sabbath, that's got another dimension to it. Uh, thus, if he is Lord, even on the Sabbath, Jesus will exercise his character, his nature, and his name, even on the Sabbath. He is healer, he is provider, he is the good shepherd. Even when it's supposed to be everybody's day off, he's still at work. He is still living out his character. And that, that right there is good news. Much like the Lord provided a pattern to be imitated by the Israelites, Jesus provides a new pattern for rest in his example. His example of remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy was in teaching and studying God's word and in the action of good works. You see, this theology of rest, it doesn't advocate laziness. Jesus never promised our, our work would cease. He, we look at passages like Matthew 11 and, and think the Lord guarantees some semblance of ease, and it's simply not true. If we look at Matthew 11, it says, Come to me, all who labor and are, are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's a wonderful verse, and we love it. We as Christians, we eat that, that kind of stuff up, but I, I fear we get it a little mixed up. A yoke is a work tool. It, a yoke is an apparatus that, that you attach to an ox to get it to pull something like, like a cart or a plow. And Jesus doesn't implore us to, to abandon yokes. He, he's proposing a swap. It, it's like Jesus saying, I, I see that you're weary. 
you've got a really heavy burden there. Um, it's, it's a burdensome life. I've got this other yoke, and it, it's lighter. Um, it, it's easier. You, do you want to trade? We aren't giving up work in this trade with Christ. We're just working differently. Jesus instructs us to learn from him in this exchange. He wants us to take his yoke and learn from him. So again, we see Jesus' pattern. We, there's teaching and learning scripture, and there's, there's good works. There's holy, redemptive work. The Lord justifies this new way of life with his character after that. It's, it's gentle. He, he's uh, lowly in heart or humble in some translations. And the promise that those who follow his ways will receive rest for their souls. Rest where it matters. And that's what Jesus promises. There's still work, but you'll still be rested. It's a rest in motion. It, it's not inactive. Think of it like the, those people you know where, where they garden and that rejuvenates them. Like That's their day off. I'm going to go gardening and then they feel better because of it. They're resting by way of laboring. Now, I want to be careful here. Uh, we, we mentioned the term good works, and that, that sets off some red flags. We aren't saying that good works or, or volunteering for the disadvantaged is what makes you holy before God. It will not save you. Rather, our, our redemptive works, our holy actions, what the Bible calls good works, flow out of a changed heart because Jesus accomplished the work of salvation for us by dying in our place. The, the natural outflow of believing in him and following him is that changed heart and, and the good works that follow after that. In this faith, in, in believing in Christ, we put to rest our tendency to make us feel good about ourselves by what we're doing and we rest in what Jesus accomplished. That, that's, that's real soul rest. Resting in what Jesus accomplished. Not what I can do for me or elevating me if we go back to Isaiah. But resting in what Jesus accomplished for me that I could not do for myself. That is how we can rest as we lovingly serve in the name of Jesus. As representatives of Jesus. This is our discipline of rest. This is our pattern, scriptural learning and teaching and redemptive work. You might still need a nap. That's totally understandable. I do every Sunday. But your soul will be just fine. What we find then is not a contradiction in the Bible. We don't see that. It's not a dismissal of the law either by Jesus. It's a re-expression like Jesus did with the Beatitudes, he takes a, a commandment and he, he turns up the heat. Six times in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you, You've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. For the Sabbath, Jesus goes for the slow reveal. He doesn't, doesn't deliver this on the Sermon on the Mount. It's not part of the Beatitudes. This is a, a long process. And... It's likely because it was harder to change his hearers' minds on something that was so steeped in tradition, so ingrained in their traditions. People are funny like that. Have you ever tried to change anybody's mind on anything? It's impossible. So Jesus goes for the, the, the long play. 
in changing hearts and minds around something so steeped in tradition. So to reiterate, we, we don't see a, a contradiction in the Bible. We see a re-expression. And Jesus does this by squashing legalistic observance and living as an example. So now, now that we have a better biblical understanding of the pattern and spiritual discipline of rest, what do we do? I would hope that it's obvious. We, we follow the pattern. Right? I've spent, personally, too long uh, listening to others. Uh, authors, speakers, uh, well-intentioned Christians, and letting them tell me what it's supposed to look like. Especially when it came to, to this. And I ended up doing rest wrong for a long time before or because of that. It, it wasn't until I did the work. I put in the effort to actually look it up in God's word that I, I saw God's intent and it convicted me. And I, I, would, I would offer you the same thing. I would, I would encourage you, whoever you are that's listening, whether you're a member of Living Grace or not, whether you're a Christian or not, whatever you, you hear from me or from any other pastor, take it, yes, but then do what the Bereans did and go check it out in the Bible. Go compare notes. See if that's actually even in there, what's being taught, because you need that to, to function and to thrive as a believer in Jesus Christ. I was not doing that. And studying up on, on rest really, really convicted me about my laziness. Not my laziness in how I rest, but my laziness in approaching God's word to find real answers. After I found out what the Bible said, I, I then sought out what others say. I gave myself a good foundation and then went to look for what other people had to say. And what I found backed up my biblical understanding on, on the subject, and then it further convicted me. For example, this guy, uh, Brashears, says, Still others are not good stewards of their Sabbath time. Rather than using it to worship God, enjoy fellowship, rest, read the Bible, and have some sanctified fun, they waste their life watching inane television shows, surfing the Internet, and playing video games. These people are not investing their Sabbath as much as they are squandering it. That was a, that was a punch in the gut when I read that. It It hurts. But it was necessary. And that, that's me. Squandering my Sabbath. So does this mean that we need to, to pick a 24-hour period for our rest? Like, like actually have a full Sabbath practice? I, I would say yes and no. Remember, the apostles don't list burnout as one of those things that doesn't inherit the kingdom. Go back to Galatians 5 and check that out. But I think Paul really puts a nail in that coffin when he says in Colossians chapter 2, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And this is this is Paul, who was a Pharisee before all this. So the, the law and the understanding of the traditions and, and what Sabbath was, it's, it's all in there. It's all a part of who he has been his whole life. So he's the one who's saying, don't let other people pressure you into this is a, a holy day or not or, or condemn you 
you you've got to you got to figure this out yourself. You've got to put in the time and the work and figure out what a Sabbath really looks like, and then hold yourself accountable to that. We must also remember the words of Jesus. Well, we got Paul over here telling us, "Hey, it's okay. You're not condemned on this whole Sabbath thing." We also have the words of Jesus who reminds us that Sabbath was made for man. For man. <coughs> it's a gift for us to enjoy and receive. It's a good thing that God wants for you. That's a, a pattern built for your benefit. I recommend you pick a day. For, for many of us, Sundays are great. Even if you're volunteering, that's redemptive work. That's, that, that can be a holy thing. As long as you have the right attitude about your holy, redemptive work serving one another, it can be restful. I, I know on the Sundays where, where I come to church with this right mindset, I have a, I have a much better experience. I, I learn more. I'm less exhausted by the end. I've been around humans, but I, I still am not as tired as I would have been otherwise because I had a better mindset and a better attitude about the whole thing, about recognizing it as this is a holy thing. This is a restful thing that God has, has built for me. If you don't have Sundays, pick a day that works. Um, what's key is that we integrate into our lives this pattern of rest. More than a Sunday morning, though, to go back to what Brashears was saying, how are you stewarding your rest? How are you stewarding your Sabbath? Is it just a Sunday morning and then you go home and you do what I've done for so long is just sit in front of the main TV shows, binge watch something, play video games until my brain liquefies out of my ears? Are you, or are you making the most of it? Are you going over the notes from that morning's message? Are you diving in like a Berean to figure out if what was said is actually in there so that when God asks you how you handled his word, you actually have a decent response? So how are you remembering the Sabbath? How are you keeping it holy? May we all dive deeply into the rich word of God. And as Paul says in Galatians 6, let us not grow weary of doing good. And during this weird season that we're in, in dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic, it can be difficult to see how this kind of message applies. It can be. I understand that because some of us are... are at home way more than we thought we'd be. We are already caught up on rest, over-rested, in fact. This does make a whole lot of sense. I don't need more rest in my life. Others are on the front lines of this thing, are in the healthcare industry, and they are working nonstop. This, the patterns of our lives right now are, are in such an upheaval that it's hard to say, well, this should be the norm because normal has been decimated. Um, in this time, I want to encourage us, for those of us who find ourselves with extra time, if you don't, aren't one of the ones with extra time, I pray that God gives you some opening for rest. I really do. Because you're doing great work. For those of us who have more time on our hands than we did beforehand, you might have seen what, I, what I've seen in the stores, which is not only was the meat gone and the toilet paper was gone, but somebody went through and ransacked the arts supplies, all the arts and craft stuff, 
was gone. They're barren. People panic purchased hobbies. They they knew going into this time, I might be stuck at home. I better learn how to paint with acrylics. At the prompting of the Holy Spirit, my my focus is less on building hobbies and more on building habits. And I would encourage you to have that kind of focus as, as well. I want to I want to work the disciplines that I need in my life while I have time, so that when I go back to a real schedule, they're already there. They're already the habits are already set. It's like every youth pastor is trying desperately to instill into their students, you've got time now with, with less responsibility. This is your moment to make the most, make the most of this opportunity and, and start habits that you're going to need in the future. I will initiate the discipline of following God's word in my practice of rest now so that I can continue to rest in the next season that comes my way, whatever that may look like. And I I pray that your heart as well. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful. We're so thankful for for you and your your heart for us, for your people, that that we can be people of rest. And it may not look like what we thought it did. It, It may not be what we think of when we think of Sabbath. It it may be more of a I rest. In, in studying your word, I rest in, in serving your people, serving alongside your people. But help us to have a right heart aligned with your word as we engage the discipline of rest. You create it as a pattern to be regularly practiced, and that's a discipline. Help us to do that, Lord. Right now, we lift up those who are on the front lines of this, this pandemic, this outbreak, who are having to deal with this And they are, some of them, literally putting their lives on the line to help heal others. We thank you for them, Lord, and we pray your hand of protection over them. We we lift up Clark County, and we pray your protection. We pray for your wisdom, for our governing officials, your wisdom for the people in our county to do, do the right thing and to exercise caution and, and wisdom. Not fear, but caution. And we thank you, Lord. Help us to be, like I said, a, a people of rest. We are known for being rested, or, or for having souls that are rested. I pray for, for those right now who are, who are weary. I pray rest for them. I pray for an exchange of yokes. They would give up the work and then the striving and they would take on your yoke of, of learning, of growing, of serving. And that would rest their souls. I love you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May, uh, may God bless you and, and keep you in this time. Uh, may you get the rest you need. May you find rest for your souls in taking God at his word. Oh, we love you and we will, we will see you here again next week. Take care.